Welcome to the Survival Sessions. My name is Sean Milne and this is the Return of Hepkelt. Hello, I'm Sean Milne and welcome to episode 10 of the Survival Sessions from Hepkelt. A few weeks have passed now since the concerts and films were streamed to the world, so I've been keen to speak with festival director Caroline McLennan and the deputy director Graham McCallum to hear their reflections on how the event went, but also to look ahead at what comes next. So when I eventually tracked them down, I wanted to ensure they were afforded the gravitas and focus they deserved. Dates were set, phones switched off, dogs banished to the kitchen. Nothing was going to be more important than this final episode. Somebody just came to the door. (laughs) (laughs) Right, oh, here you go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard this Caledonian McBrain vessel. Please listen very carefully to the following safety announcements. In the unlikely event of an emergency, you will be informed by means of an emergency signal consisting of seven or more short blasts, followed by one prolonged blast on the ship's whistle. In the unlikely event of an emergency requiring evacuation, you will be instructed by the master to proceed to the nearest muster station. Muster stations can be identified by a square green and white sign depicting a family group. At the muster station, if necessary, a crew member will issue you with a life jacket and provide assistance as required. At all times, you should remain calm and follow the instructions of the crew members at your muster station. Do not attempt to abandon the vessel unless specifically instructed to do so by a crew member. Thank you for your attention. But here's the thing, for arts and culture, for music in particular, there were no life belts during the pandemic, no lifeboats, no messages telling us where we should muster, no sense of direction. Instead there's this feeling in your head of being submerged underwater as you hold onto your breath for as long as you possibly can, something akin to panic as this big weight slowly builds up in your head. Your veins start to tremble inside, your lungs want to heave as if ready to burst. Your eyes stare wide shut in some kind of solidarity, somehow willing you not to quit. It's the kind of feeling you might have had as a kid, sticking your head under the bubbles in the bath, counting as you went, or older irrationally in the dead of night, trying not to expel any air loose of monsters under the bed might hear. Then as an adult swimming constantly against the tide of real life. So make no mistake, since March 2020, arts and culture, music has held its breath. The wait at times has been almost too much to bear. Some of the previous guests in the earlier nine podcasts have attested to that. It's been debilitating, crippling, scary. So often perhaps it could have been easier for them to have given in, to accept what fate had in store, understanding that the rescue they were praying for just might not have happened. But it did. The survival sessions. Five, four, three. Well, Shin Akit, Josie Duncan, I guess Ad Tudisiaki. I guess Falter Ule, Hunnel Walter, shot in the Stornovag, but a version beyond. I guess Hashinish, a Dolaglosset Oin, a project, a hat of the Lehang, Hatten of Leonichen. I guess a hat and Nothkig shot, a Walter, Emig Tudis, a Hep Kelt. 
project which has been led by Alex McDonald of the Lambda here in Stornoway. It is a collaboration of musicians who have come from Shetland, Orkney and the Hebrides. They have been working on new song content, on fiddle music and traditional song. Now despite lockdown, this group have been so busy collaborating to create new content and following on from their CD release at the end of last year, we are absolutely delighted to have them performing here in Stornoway live on this stage for the first time this year. Please welcome to the stage Between Islands. And on a Wednesday evening, a small group of, say, four dozen or so people sat alone together, facing a stage at Anlanter Art Centre in Stornoway, where living artists first gathered for Hebkeld. In this hybrid event, they stood there under the lights, two metres apart, waiting for the cameras to focus and go live, taking their songs to the world. They clutched their guitars, their keyboards, their fiddles, their microphones, as if their lives depended on it. For some, it was their first time being together. For others, a reunion after 16 long months apart. Same for many of us all brought here for the survival sessions. Survival, the name I'd never seemed more apt. Then his hair hit string, his thumb plucked steel, and his palm clapped against palm, like a forced ten gale. All that hurt, that tension, that fear, that uncertainty of enforced silence was suddenly expelled. Heads were above water, music breathed again, and our hearts swelled. Patchwork past that's falling off in the rain. This silence drowning in a high tide of gossip. The shouting and helping an accent no one understands. No one understands. I dig my nails into the palm of my hands and I smile like I just don't care. They believe in the power of Quite an amazing experience being there for the opening concert. When that first note sounded, when the, the instruments struck up and the singing began after Frank Lawler's months of silence, how did you feel? It was just amazing to actually be working um, in amongst the company that we were working with in the venue that we've we've known for so many years and surrounded by just such amazing music. One of the great things was seeing Caroline and Graham watching on from the sidelines and in the audience. And it wasn't just the artists they were looking at, it was the people in the crowd, it was the technicians, it was the whole sense of place. It was quite beautiful. And it was great to hear them share their experiences too. Just music to our ears, I think. A very, very limited audience was there, a few dozen people. But despite that, the, the atmosphere was, you know, you could almost touch it. Yeah, it was It was incredible to, to sort of experience. Um, I wasn't quite 
prepared. I don't think emotionally for it. I didn't expect to be quite as as touched and moved by the opening concert as I was. It took me sort of slightly unaware, just as Caroline said, sort of being in being back in that company, back working, producing live music for the first time, and it being in a long term, it being between islands, the connections that we all share. Um, it was really special. There's a moment when everyone taking part on opening night just kind of looked at each other, almost as if they're all thinking the same thing, like, wow. And each night that followed, there was that same moment. It was this realisation that, that people were back. Did you also feel that way, Caroline? You, you're, you're watching this, you're experiencing it in the way you have done so many times before. But was it extra special because of the emotion that was there, do you think? I found it, I found it, as Graham found it, I found it quite quite emotional being actually being back in a room with people after, what, 18 months of not being able to do stuff. But I think for the for the artists taking part for, you know, that's their lifeblood really. And seeing them on a stage and obviously bouncing off each other and and feeling that connection um, between others may, maybe be a bit of a standout there because of the, the sort, of, sort of stories within within that group of uh, uh, musicians. Yeah, I, I definitely felt, I definitely felt I was home again, you know. I've been very privileged to speak to artists and other people taking part in the festival over the last nine podcasts. And Graham, the, the real sense that's come through for me, I mean, Caroline's just mentioned home there. It's this spirit of community around not just islands, but the festival itself, almost family in many ways. You must be Really, really proud of everybody that's been involved. Massively so. Um, it's it's something that I, I I knew we would get back because that that feeling of of community it never really disappeared from Hebkelt despite our sort of inactivity over over the last sort of um, you know initial sort of twelve months um, of lockdown and everything that we've been through in the, sort of behind the scenes in the background has remained this incredible sense of of family and connection with everyone involved, um, be it sort of the, the, the board and the, the volunteers that are right in at the centre of it, right out to everyone um, that's involved at all levels, have felt a huge sense of community across that time. And it, I think it's part of what's got me through this this time, is that, that's, that sense, that connection. Of course, that's a central part to the Survival Sessions theme, and we, we've spoken about it before. And, you know, folk like Willie Campbell and others all talked about how this has allowed them to coalesce around that very notion of home and the journey and the whole ethos of you know, what's been going on at the festival for so many years. The spirit of taking part and the, the, the joy of being hearing the music again. I'd imagine for all the support that you've had, you must be really grateful too in many ways, you know, from the sponsors to the team to the volunteers to technical guys who managed to beam it across about 14 countries around the world? We couldn't have done what we did this year without the support of the funding agencies that allowed us to make this all happen. So Creative Scotland, Event Scotland, Colonial and Cheer, and private sponsors like Calmac, and, but there's so many others that, that helped us out in, very, in many different ways. And if you look to the, the guys that work behind the scenes uh, at the event and all that they did to make it happen, and how important it was for them. I mean, you've talked to Keith and you've highlighted how, you know, the changes that have come about within his company. But the others that were involved in, in shooting uh, pre-recorded content equally got such a lot out of it. So it's not just front of house, it's back of house as well. There's that aspect to the event and how important it was for us to make sure that there was some kind of legacy left from 
from the survival sessions. You mentioned Keith from the Wee Studios there. Also, that's a fantastic story, being able to create jobs off the back of the work that you were able to, to share out. I think a special mention also to all the team at Arn Hunter, you know, Alex McDonald, and you know, everybody from those involved in facilitating the festival itself to even the, the folk upstairs you know, serving the drinks and the food, which helped make it a really special atmosphere, as normal as it could have been. I mean, that's a, a really special relationship you have, and the fact you've been able to have a centre like this on your doorstep that's been able to to host this. I mean, that's a, a magnificent thing for, for Stornoway and, and the islands in general. Yeah, well, the festival and Atlanta have been working together since as long as the festival was actually around. Um, personally speaking, I've, I've worked closely with Alex, programme manager with Atlanta for, for all these years as well. And we've devised so many different projects and put on so much, so many amazing shows. And, and that that goes across from the venue was like a 50 seat venue to to now it's 200 seat auditorium um and, and now obviously this year where we beamed live to <laughs> live to the world you know the, our, our relationship is very important to, to both organizations um and I, I think long may it continue and between islands is an exemplary showing of those kind of collaborations I mean, it was, it was fantastic. I mean, Graham, I saw you watching that as well. Your, your toe was tapping away at the music. It must be amazing to watch these things just come to life. I mean, it really is. And, you know, with, with Between Islands, I mean, testament to, to Alex McDonald and Lanter for the, the vision um, that she put into creating it and guiding it through its last few iterations and then pulling everything together. It was the perfect opening show for the survival sessions and seeing local grassroots musicians from from the islands coming together. It was quite symbolic in a way, I think, of of the last few months, sort of everyone trying, coming together, coming out of what we've been through and, and uniting again on stage was, was really incredible. In terms of those performances, did you have any personal highlights? I had personal highlights from every single part of it, every performance, every pre-record, the real elements and asking me to choose one is huge um in terms of the overall event i think one of the one of the standout moments for me was was actually the opening piece itself um josie duncan's uh commission that we she worked with a, a great team of people ellie lucas on um on video and a great team of musicians to create um the journey home or um which was just stunning absolutely breathtaking i think i watched it seven times the night I received the the um the final piece uh before it before we put it out live it was just I, c- I couldn't have asked for a, a better opening <laughs> Yeah, I loved, I loved that. I loved that piece. But gee, there's so many other highlights through it. Black piece sessions, I loved every bit of that as well. And and I always I revel in, in live music because um, that's what we do. I know it's all about the music and all about it being together, but Caroline, was there a, a point throughout those few days whereby I've called this the goosebump moment? You know, your, your arm gets a goosebumps because you're just like, wow, this is amazing. You know, sitting beside beside the guys that were doing the the live stream there and watching it happen, and 
and knowing that the young chap beside me who's 16 was actually making this dream live to the world. I just like that. It's just, that gets me. And it's always going to be hard to get something like this off the ground. You know, you're, you're learning new tricks. You're relying on, on people you may or may not have worked with in the past. As an organisation, Grail, are you more than satisfied with the way it's come together, you know, how it played out in the end? Absolutely. I don't think any of us, you know, certainly myself, really fully understood exactly how it would all play out and, and what was involved right until we hit go, really, uh, on the stream. It's not something that any of us um, on the Headcat side of things had had really been involved in before. I felt very safe in the hands of the, the people that we brought on board, um, Keith and his team on, on the streaming, everyone, all the technicians in Atlanta, everything kind of came together and it was it was just so much more than I could have imagined, really. But to have pulled it off the way you did, I mean, there's, what, 32 hours of live music, film commissions, you're effectively broadcasting with the live streaming, the merch and everything else that went with it. I mean, it's a, a real extraordinary feat to have achieved, not least in the, in the timescales involved. Graham, what were the, the main challenges of all, do you think? Not knowing what we didn't know, if you know what I mean. You know, the event itself being 25 years in the making, we have, as an organisation, vast, vast experience in live event production. Pivoting that to a hybrid event set against the backdrop of the pandemic was no mean feat. I mean, really, we had to learn and adapt very quickly um, and, and reach out to people to get their expertise and put a lot of faith and trust in those people, which is easy for us to do. I mean, we everyone we worked with, we had a pre-existing working relationship with um, as much as possible. And that really allowed us to place a lot of faith in the people that we brought in um, to, to do their part and to make um, to make the survival sessions happen. Carolyn, when you've been doing festivals in the past, there's obviously the town's a buzz, you know, 18,000 people stoning around, no wearing t-shirts, have a, a drink, a jig, whatever they're doing. It must have been a very peculiar feeling, you know, being as busy as you were, but then looking across the Castle Green and seeing it empty. How did you square that in your head? It was difficult. I mean, it's it kind of felt like we were in this wee bubble ourselves. Though I know we weren't, I know there was others out there kind of tuning into us, but that's what it felt like, you know, when you come back out onto the street at 10 o'clock at night or to half past 10 at night, and it's like, oh, well, I'm back home to bed, <laughs> which is quite unusual because normally we're going until about three in the morning you know covering all the venues and whatnot yes it was a bit bit surreal so good news is the scottish government has announced this week that they're lifting more for the restrictions also we'll have to see how that plays out over the coming months you guys start making your plans for next summer as part of that i'm very curious to know whether or not hybrid will become part of the new festival even if you get to return to to live music first and foremost um Hebkel is a live event we really were looking to our 25th anniversary to bring everyone back together again on the green and where possible have as big a party as we can. That being said, the advances in technology and the learnings from the pandemic and the response by the, the live events industry to produce some incredible digital and hybrid events is something that we really do need to look at and consider. Um, there have been some incredible you know, incredible things have come off the back of survival sessions. The the global reach that we're able to achieve with that model is something that we'll certainly consider and look at. But really, for next year, we're very much hoping to be back, first and foremost, as I say, as a live event. Because nothing beats standing in an audience, does it, Graham? You know, you're there, there's people around with you, you're getting the sound up close and personal. Absolutely. For any festival, 
that is that that is the the reason for the event it's it's the audience it's the spectacle it's everything that they can get involved with it's something that i take it's my sort of personal moment you touched on earlier the the hairs and the the arms standing up that moment each year at hebkilt i stand backstage at the side of the main stage um on the the friday night as the headline act walks on stage and i just listen to the crowd and it's that that little moment is my personal you know hairs in the back of the neck moment watching everyone come together in that singular moment is why i do what i do with the festival and next year caroline july 13th to 16th i think that's the dates that are penciled in the diary is that right that's correct yeah what does that stir on you then is it excitement is it trepidation is it wondering if you're going to be able to do it i mean after the last couple of years, there must be some nerves around there as well. I guess there will be in the, in the run-up to it, but live events are happening now. Yeah, there's festival directors and festival organisers making events happen as we speak. So I can't understand why we wouldn't be back on the green next year unless anything terrible happens now and then. And we'll certainly be working up to, to make it a 25th anniversary of the live hip kilt thing to remember. There's a question I've never really asked you, but how do you actually go about making a festival happen? I mean, what's, what's on the tick list? What do you do? Where do you start? Where do you start? Money. You've got to start with funding. To make a festival happen here in the Outer Hebrides, it wouldn't happen without a mixture of, of public and private finance, first and foremost. But then, as we've touched on before, there's community assistance of the wider community and that's in, in all sorts of different levels that, that make the festival happen too and who look after people who travel from other parts of the country or whatever to take in the festival and um, so it's quite this on many different levels but there's sort of the benefits cascade out across many different levels as well so we'll start with funding and sponsorship and then well we've, we're ahead of the game as far as the programming is concerned as some other program will have moved over so we do have a foot in the door there Graham, people I've spoken to are desperate and eager to get hold of tickets for the year ahead already. Are we going to see some kind of launch this side of Christmas? There's still uh, a fair bit of sort of planning uh, and things to do, but um, we're, we're certainly hopeful to be able to, to make some announcements and to, to get a, a ticket release out soon. I'll say soon. Caroline, I don't want to get too political about this, but in terms of the funding aspect, you talk about the grants and everything else you need to go into, not just for Hebkilt, for arts and culture in, in general, what is the best thing that can be done to support them? Is it cash? Is it clarity of message in terms of what people will be able to do going forward? Is it something else altogether? Primarily, it's, it's cash. It's the, the funding has to be there for arts and culture. It's such a huge cornerstone of our life. So everything revolves around it, though. Perhaps it's not it's not um, recognised as such, but there are agencies out there who are who are um, set up to support the creative industries. But across all levels, even it's it's really important at the local level that we, we continue to be recognised and supported. What have you learned about helping a festival survive? I think what we set out to do was support a wider creative industry, supply chain, um, artists, and I think we. We managed to achieve that this year through the survival sessions. But that's really what we do every year in a wider sense. Um, and, not, and not just the creative industries, but the business community. Business community recognise that the festival is is their big spike in the year. And that keeps them going until Christmas. It's well documented that that, that is the case. And that really, for many reasons, must make it so important 
to continue to support events like ourselves who do have such a huge impact or not just the creative communities but the economics of, of any sort of fragile areas in particular. And so Graham, if this was all about survival, what do you hope next year will become? Just a, a celebration. A celebration of the 25 years that have come previous and a view to the future. But of course, one thing all those taking part in survival sessions have never lost sight of is the fact the pandemic affected everybody, not just this sector. But if anything, perhaps what it does do is offer a ray of hope, acting like a beacon of what can be achieved if we just keep going. Just keep breathing. You've been listening to Survival Sessions by Heb Kilt. Today's producer and editor was Callum Fraser. Marketing and promotion is by Peter Kane from the Kane Partnership. The show is written and recorded at Skook Media Associates. The cover art is by 999design. The show's title music is by Nightworks. And today's host is myself, Sean Milne. For more information on how to get your passes, visit hebkiltfest.com. And be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts for our next episode. I'm out of hope.